This week on the Magnificently Huge Podcast, drugs, serial killers, and giant robot nostalgia. Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast with your hosts, Eric Reed, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson. Three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kind of like, maybe even secretly love, before we ultimately crap all over them. We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder, one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. Welcome everyone to the Magnificently Huge podcast, my name is Brian, and this week my friends Chris and Eric will join me for a talk about adaptations. This is a suggestion from uh, one of our listeners, uh, who suggested that maybe we do a series of shows on the art of adapting things from one media to another and this is going to be a books to film show uh we're going to try and talk about what makes for good adaptation and each of us is going to bring our own example in the future we'll probably talk about bad adaptations and why they're bad and who knows maybe some weird ones but if you've got some suggestions like that and you want to tell us about them first go rate our podcast like before you before you bother to talk to us like just go give us a rating on on itunes or stitcher and, and help the show gain an audience but then go to our website maghuge.com m-a-g-h-u-g-e.com and there you'll find uh all of our old episodes which you can listen to you can also find links to find our different social feeds so you'll find a link to our twitter which is at maghuge you'll find a link to our facebook the magnificently huge podcast you'll find a link to our instagram magnificently huge and you'll find a link to email us your ideas for shows if you still use email, which is magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com. All right, let's get this party started. And welcome back to the Magnificently Huge podcast, the show where we review pop culture and decide it's not very good. I'm your host, Eric Reed. Hi, Eric Reed. I'm your, I'm your sidekick, Brian. <laughs> and I'm just you're, you're, the asshole. You're the other host, Brian. We're all hosts. That's yeah. Oh, no, I'm yeah. just the asshole that wanders in off the street drunk. My name is Chris. This is the podcast Hi, of the Soviet par- proletariat. We we are all hosts. <laughs> yeah, oh, okay. we are we are co-hosts. Uh, man, this is like low yeah, energy. Can one of us be the host, and one of us be the parasite. <laughs> but that. Can we do that? <laughs> no, I agree. That I just watched that uh, preview you sent of Picard, Brian. Uh, I'd yeah. like to start there, if I may. Uh, Absolutely. Part of me says, "All oh, right," and part of me says, "Oh boy," because yep. the the <laughs> it ends the big you know uh, sort of I don't know I don't know what you call that in previews when you end it with a oh ooh kind of moment. Their big oh ooh moment is that seven of nine is going to be on the show. You know, yep. the person who was on the budget budget version of. Star Trek. <laughs> what the hell are you doing out here, Picard? Saving the galaxy? Yeah, yeah who cares? Yeah, they got seven of nine, but then they also have de-aged Brent Spiner as Data. Oh, stop it. Yeah. No, that's a thing. Yeah. I don't want the game to end. I can see that, Captain. The trailer... So we're recording this um, on the weekend where San Diego Comic-Con is going on. Also, and, the 50th yeah. anniversary of the moon landing. Don't forget that. And that. Oh, well, whatever. But, you know, <laughs> <And> Star Trek. <laughs> Star Trek, baby. Yeah. I mean, so here's the thing, right? Like, like 
the the big stuff coming out of Comic Con is the Picard trailer and Top Gun Maverick trailer. It's like the stuff that we're getting that's new <laughs> is just shit aimed at, at people in their forties. Like, uh, hmm. I'd like does, to interject does and nobody say that get anything. You forgot the uh, the Cats trailer as well with T Swift. I'm sure trying to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, it's like the trailer for the people who used to get their asses beat in high school, and then a trailer for the people who used to beat their asses in high school. <laughs> as far as I can up. tell, the Top Gun movie has been made precisely because Tom Cruise wanted to fly a fighter jet for real, and they put several shots of that in this trailer. Yeah, for some reason, Mission Impossible wasn't allowing him to do that, so... I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I saw that trailer. That's the only one of these three that I've seen so far. And my only real question is, Tom Cruise is, what, pushing 70 now? Uh, how the fuck <laughs> is he flying a jet in the Navy still? I mean, that's just he's a Thetan. Yeah. Because he's a Thetan, bitch. That's why. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, I mean, that is the question they ask him in the trailer. Like, yeah. seriously? But, uh, you should really not have this job by now. Yeah, but, nobody, yeah. <laughs> nobody has that job at his age. You should be at least a two-star admiral by now. Yet here you are. Captain. What is that? It's one of life's mysteries, sir. Uh, but there no. is shirtless volleyball, and, uh, and apparently, bars. yeah, and apparently Goose's son is going to be in it. Yeah. So are he, you serious? Yeah. So he gets to play Tom Skerritt to the young Goose uh, versus what Tom Skerritt did for him in the original uh, Top Gun. That might make a little more sense. I guess. But, you know. It's Top Gun, the next generation. <laughs> yeah, it's I don't, think, be the... I don't think Scarrett even got into a uh, uh, no. a cockpit, did he? It's, it's uh, well, yeah, they did for the training flights. Oh, I if, thought that was If people just go all the way back to, like, I think it was true. our 13th episode or whatever, where we did the Kenny Loggins uh, themes about Top Gun, uh, yeah. we, we discussed all of that. Uh, but that wasn't all Michael Ironside? I No, no. I thought... Okay. No, it was uh, it was Jester and Viper were both up there flying the hard deck, if you know what I mean. I'm actually Canadian. <laughs> so, there you go. But I don't have anything else to add. Uh, you don't obey it, my orders, I'll make <laughs> your head explode. Scanners uh, reference, get it? No. <laughs> but it, lo- it looks to be the top gunniest uh, of the top guns, and also just as dumb as the original, so I don't literally think the bar could get really any lower. Yeah. So we're we're talking about this, and normally we do a segment at the top of the show where we talk about things we've been watching and oh. reading and whatever. Oh, right. What's that but segment? Before called? we do oh, yeah. that, we talk about like no. like stuff we think is important or yeah. that we've been doing, and we didn't. You know, I figured I'd just jump in there with that before we did. Oh yeah. The thing that you're hinting no, at. No, that's fine. Okay, yeah. That's fine. Yeah, Whatever. I mean, we can sit here and banter forever before we get around to the, fr- the, the segment. The fresh shit? This shit is fresh! Oh, shit. It's fresh. This stuff is fresh! Oh, that segment. <laughs> Damn yeah. it. One of us had to pop like, the cork. It's like every week we tease it, and then we, we finally say it, and then it's like, it wasn't quite as interesting as any of us had hoped. No. 
That's pretty much that describes me to a T, Eric. Thank you. Thank you. I really have very little. I will say that I've been watching uh, The End of the Fucking World, which is great. I'm loving it. The show? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, and no, he's just he's just watching the news. <laughs> I'm just making sure. It's an sure. adaptation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I saw that um, last year when yeah. it was first out and loved it. It's uh, yeah, as did I. They're gonna make a second season, apparently. I don't know. One day. How? Yeah, one day. But the, but, uh, the uh, soundtrack is really good. And I haven't actors. finished it, so don't please don't tell me why they won't do one for years because I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's fine. But. Yeah, other than that, I've just been reading uh, like 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 Silence of the Lambs as fast as I can for today's show. So, nerd, but but nerd. but end of the fucking world's really fun, really funny and uh well, not funny as much as I get it funny, you know. It's mm. well, it it could probably be construed as sort of a, a dark comedy of sorts. Yeah. It certainly has elements I mean, of that. I mean, it starts out funnier than it ends. I mean, it kind of like loses some of that as it goes along, yeah. I think. But kind of like um, life. It's very bingeable. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> so. I, I I liked the the quick um, appearance of the guy from Peep Show. Yeah. The secret ingredient is crime. That guy. Yeah. Super Hans. Yes. This crack is Moorish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good times. Well, how how far into it are you? How many episodes? Uh, I think I have one left. As I said, because it's only like six episodes or something. So yeah, there can't be many more because the dad just saw them on the news. Okay. Uh, Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, let us know when you finish, and then we can uh, try to remember what we saw last year. Right on. Right on. Right on. (laughs) Cool. That's the the least fresh shit I think we've done in a while, but still superlative nonetheless. Thank you. Thank well, you. <laughs> speaking of, of things that other people talked about in the fresh shit a year ago that, that one of us is watching, and also speaking of Star Trek, I've been continuing to watch Star Trek Discovery. Yeah. Okay, so I'm nearing the end of season one of Discovery, and Eric, I, I believe you've seen all of that, right? Yeah. Okay, so I'm still trying to avoid spoilers because I get why people haven't really put a lot of spoilers for this show out into the world. Mm-hmm. But as we're getting into the m- motivations of Jason Isaac's character towards the end of season one, my wife and I looked at each other at the end of, of the episode we just watched and went, wow, this show went just put its head straight up its own ass. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> is, that, I, is that like a... Like a time portal thing? Like they were able to go kind through of <laughs> they were through the event horizon and go up their own ass? Yes. Okay. <laughs> should we should we just declare right now, uh uh we're gonna spoil and and then talk about it? This shit is spoiled. What do you mean? Spoilers. Well, I'm not actually to the end of season one, so there's more okay. coming. Well what did you I just guess. see? What did you just okay, say? Okay, so that spoilers was for Star Trek Discovery season season one. Um, so basically, the 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 show starts out um, being about how they've got this this fantastical drive that can warp them instantaneously throughout space using the power of fungus. Right. Um, and <laughs> the this, power of fungus. I I'm not making that up. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and this ultimately leads them to what I believe to be the mirror mirror universe. 
or at least something very similar to the Mirror Mirror universe, but they're able to to cross to parallel universes, uh, at which point, uh, at the end of the episode we just watched, uh, it was revealed that Jason Isaacs, who's been our captain this whole time, has actually been himself from the Mirror Universe with an evil design the whole time, and it all makes sense now. Does he have uh, a Van Dyke mustache? Another- no, okay. uh, other characters do. Okay. No, he's Jason uh, Isaacs. Does. He doesn't need it. He's just <laughs> well, permanently evil. I'm just yeah. basing that entirely off of the original series where you know they're the evil parallel universe versions because they have the evil facial hair. Also, another character is actually a Klingon who's had his body surgically changed so that he appears to be a human who was in Klingon <laughs> captivity. Fuck off. I'm telling you, the show has its head straight up its own ass. <laughs> That's like, and it takes place before all of the other Star Treks, correct? Yes, yes. There was a lot. Of, <laughs> so they've just there was a, thrown there, there was a out. bit of race changing in the original Star Trek, though. Let's let's be honest. Yeah, well, it's. I mean, it's it's interesting. I, I had to actually look it up because um, Alex Kurtzman is one of the showrunners. And I'm like, is he the conspiracy nut from Alice Kurzman and Bob Orky? No, Bob Orky is the conspiracy nut. But you wouldn't know <laughs> it from how convoluted this fucking show is. A uh, couple other things about, about Discovery I just have to say. One, they're way too addicted to shots where it's like, I'm, a, I'm out in outer space and now I'm zooming in through the window into the ship. Or I'm zooming out of the ship through. In the episode we just watched, there were four or five of those before the title sequence. Um... It's also the first Star Trek to have an F-bomb in it, and also the first Star Trek to have fucking in it. And I should say interspecies fucking, because it's a human fucking a Klingon, which you later find out is actually a surgically altered Klingon fucking a Klingon. But we're talking Klingon boobies. This is not your grandpa's Star Trek. (laughs) I'm utterly speechless. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, Brian, I, you did it. Yeah, I I thought I would check it out maybe when it was ever available, but now I'm sort of reconsidering based on it, your. I liked it. I don't care. It's actually okay. pretty good. Okay, but it's it better like get its head out of its ass by in the next three episodes because like, what okay. the hell? So both of you have seen it. So how does it compare to something like Battlestar Galactica? Uh, the 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 redo. Yeah. The Redux? Yeah. yeah. No, nothing touches BSG. That is okay. one of the best shows uh, ever. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Just- See, I'm actually going to say I, I almost prefer <laughs> it to BSG because BS, at least these guys clearly knew where they were going, whereas BSG was just making shit up as they oh, went along. Pshaw. Uh. Pshaw. Pshaw. <laughs> just roll with it, man. It's a roller coaster. Uh. Okay. So. Um, the other thing that I've, I've got from Fresh Shit, which is also, I hope, uh, timely and thematically relevant, which means that everybody who listens to this podcast would be way out of date. <laughs> yeah, a year um, from now. I did, I did go see Apollo 11 in the theaters. They were running it again for the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. Was it better than Apollo 10? I can't remember. <laughs> it's better than the <laughs> Apollo and BSG. Okay. Oh, okay, no. Um... So this is the Apollo, actual the actual theatrical movie Apollo Eleven. This is um, this is the documentary. Okay. So Apollo Eleven, they they actually unearthed um, some sixty five millimeter footage from the actual um, Apollo Eleven mission that's been in a like sub zero archive in Maryland for fifty years, and they didn't know where it was, and they found it not long ago. 
and it, there's it's not a narrative it's a documentary in fact it's an attempt to just recreate the whole mission in movie form for a new generation to watch it's all the it's audio is it is a literally yeah. a found footage documentary yeah yeah with, with witches but the thing is you watch that and then you go rent apollo 18 and apollo 18 seems even better <laughs> that's the one where there was a secret last moon mission and there were moon creatures that attacked them and it's it's <laughs> it's all found footage and it's fucking crazy how does that compare to iron sky uh it's no bsg okay <laughs> I will say Apollo 11 is much better than First Man, the move, the dramatic story of this mission starring Ryan Gosling's eyes. I, I remember you hated that movie. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, it, this is a hell of a restoration. Like the 65 millimeter footage is is beautiful, and they didn't really have some, to restore much if it was stored in like freezers, right? I mean, nobody well, was touching. Well, I mean, some of its footage you've it. seen that like you know is looking cleaner and better than it ever has and i'm sure oh. they've done some cheats with the audio but they're definitely using the voices from the time um but i think a lot of the sound effects are probably foley or whatever makes um, you wonder if like a like flat earthers are gonna go see this thing and just go ah see right there this is totally <laughs> fake <laughs> fuck you <laughs> i can just see it oh it's not the flat earthers it's the moon landing was faked people though i uh, bet they hang out all, with the flat earthers yeah i was gonna say they're all the same to me really Dumb. <laughs> they they have some great um, footage of docking maneuvers. Like the docking maneuvers these fuckers had to do on this mission were intense, and uh, in a couple of cases they were ha- they had to be done when they were out of communication with uh, Houston, where they're on the opposite side of the moon. And I'm thinking that must have been terribly restrictive. Like there must have been no other option, so that. Because you'd think they'd want to do those delicate things when they could communicate, but I guess yeah. not. Yeah. Well, the thing that gets um, me about the whole the whole Apollo deal, the whole program, they did all that with slide rules, man. I mean, yeah. it's just it's crazy that they didn't have microcomputers or any of that, and they were I able think, to, to do it. Yeah, I, 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 I marvel that we have never gone back because we did all that with the highest technology of the late 60s. Yeah. And you think of something like Voyager is the highest technology of the mid seventies, and then we just stop. We we now that the Russians are on our side and they are, you know, well, you know, wink wink, they are some of the best programmers in the world. They could fit that shit on the head of a pin. We could do so much now. Yeah. But there's no money. The other thing that, that's worth checking out is just the the velocity. Those fuckers are going over twenty five thousand miles an hour. Through the void yeah. of space. That is some speed. Anyway, um, and nothing Apollo by 11, wire. I liked it. Then it was, there was no, uh, you know, very little programmed flight. They, they had to actually <laughs> do that docking shit. Yeah. Yeah. And the way they, the way they edited it, they, they had cameras on both vehicles, you know, watching the document. So they would split the screen and one vehicle's on the left side and one vehicle's on the right. So you could kind of watch the whole thing coming together. That's the other thing I want to talk about. The camera technology in 1969. Okay, so you've all seen the footage of, like, you know, the booster rocket falling off and going back down. So you got to think about that. So somebody was able to put cameras into the second stage rocket chassis in such a way that it would not only film that occurring because there's all this fire going around the camera, 
but that then that stage is also going to fall into the ocean, and somehow the camera and the film survive. And it stays in focus the whole time, even, and this is why it's fake, right? This is why it's all Kubrick. No. Um, but somebody was able to build a, uh, a container for those cameras that could survive that kind of I don't, massive force. I don't, yeah, I don't think they did, did they? I mean, I don't think they, the cameras did survive. I think you're watching the stage separation of just the final craft that they could get back. Because think well, of it, even if the camera could survive, how are you going to find it? I don't know. That's why I'm sitting here scratching my head going, God damn, right? Like, even, even just that first camera, right? Like, the, you see the thing fall, the first stage fall, but then there's another stage that falls afterwards, and the camera was almost certainly in that vehicle. In fact, now that I think about it, there is a shot from inside that second one looking up at the rest of Apollo 11 as it falls down looking up through the top at the vehicle continuing to escape as this thing is falling back down to earth. And again, it stays in focus <laughs> at least, uh, on, on it. I, I don't I'm, know how the I'm hell they built that shit. I'm telling you, man, slide rules, slide rules. Yeah. All right. So that's all I got. Chris, <laughs> got any fresh shit? Uh, following that, this is going to be really awful. Because the only thing I watched this week that was new uh, was The Spy Who Dumped Me. Oh, how was it? it's on oh, Netflix. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's okay, I guess. <laughs> uh, Chris is in the I watched a two and a half star movie seat this week on the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, I don't know. It, don't watch it if you're not into Kate McKinnon shtick because she chews every scene that she is in doing her usual thing. Uh, whereas like something sure. like Ghostbusters, that's the reason you watch that remake. It's because it's of her. In this one, it it's wears a little thin after a while. I gotta what is be the, honest. What is the... Th- okay, so a spy dumpster, right? I mean, I get it all in the title, or uh, is there it's, anything it's, else to this movie? It's Mila Kunis is uh, like a checkout girl, like a Trader Joe's type place, and film starts with her having just been dumped by text by her boyfriend who turns out to be an international spy who's left some sort of secret yuga hidden in her place and then the baddies come after her and then it becomes this like whole women empowerment thing where she and her friend end up taking the, the leap and then fly over to Europe to finish the mission and then get embroiled with the CIA and blah 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 oh. it's fairly boilerplate uh, action comedy espionage stuff. So it's two doofuses accidentally taking down international spies. Yeah, basically, uh, two okay. girlfriends on a romp through Europe, being pursued by baddies that want you to kill go them. girls to <laughs> I mean, England. Now yeah. they're going to England. So I only watched it based on the trailer that I saw last year, and I vaguely recalled having seen it at some point in the theater the trailer and i went okay whatever I, sure i'll try it i thought about going to see it there were just other movies to see at the time but yeah yeah uh, i want to see that review like that that review snippet on some ad someday i vaguely remember seeing this <laughs> <laughs> did i go to this wait let me look in my pockets there's the ticket i did <laughs> uh, yeah well that pretty much sums it up so the spy who dumped me yes Sure. <laughs> the movie. 
Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. But other than that, I got nothing. It left kind of a, a weird taste in my mouth because the spy dumped me. Okay. So I don't even remember how this came up, but got some some listener feedback in the in the form of my wife, uh, who uh, <laughs> our only said, listener, our only listener, <laughs> our only listener who gives us any feedback. Um, yeah. Shame on you people. It's called well, magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com. My wife gives feedback. She just doesn't listen to the show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> As her feedback, like, why do you still do that stupid podcast thing? <laughs> Some. It's Saturday. We have things to yeah. do. <laughs> Some of it. Yeah. I, mine comes in the form of telling my wife the upcoming show topics, and then she sort of just shakes her head and just kind of mutters, that sounds kind of dumb. <laughs> yeah, same here. And then we move same on. Here. So, you know, uh, she's not our demo. That's all I'm going to say. When I told my wife, you know, no, no, we actually have a lot of regular listeners. She, she looked at me like, really? Not like she didn't believe me, but more like concerned for the state of the world. <laughs> well, yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> we love our listeners. But what did yes. Jolene have to say? Anyway, um, I don't remember why, but one of our previous episodes got her thinking about uh, we could do a series of shows on the art of adapting stuff, adaptations. And I said, hey, that's actually pretty good and fertile ground. And so um, I, I was going to take that and say, here's our first episode on adaptations. And the premise here is we each bring one thing that we say is a good adaptation. And we talk about why it's a good adaptation. Yes. Um, so each of us is bringing, I think, one movie that has been adapted from somewhere else. I think each of them mm-hmm. from a book in this case. Yeah, I think, yeah, this, this one is all about books to screen, uh, but okay. ones that we somehow think are good. If I understand your premise correctly. Yeah, yeah. well, I just said it, so hopefully if you <laughs> heard the words coming out of my mouth, you now understand yeah. it correctly. <laughs> okay, I just um, wanted to clarify. Yeah, We're behind the scenes, so we already get the premise. That was really for everyone listening. Yes. No, Chris. On the other Chris side of the fourth really wall, paying attention and just kind of turned on his microphone, and here we go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah uh, basically. As such, Chris. Chris, what's your good adaptation? What are you bringing? Uh, I had thought about a couple right off the cuff that would have been good. Uh, Clockwork Orange was one I had bandied about, uh, and then Forrest Gump was flirted with, but then I realized that it's not a good adaptation at all. Mm. Uh, Why? So. Uh, it's just uh, that's another show in and of Yeah, itself. we're gonna do a show on bad adaptations. We're gonna do <laughs> a show on bad adaptations. Forrest Gump. Those are coming. Yeah. Uh, so I just decided to pick Train Spotting, uh, based on the book by Irvin Welsh, because uh, I love the movie and I always have ever since I saw it in 1996. And then the book is also very good. Uh, and I realized that that would be my only opportunity to actually talk about train spotting in this show. So that's why I chose. So it. why do you love the movie? Why do you love the book? What's the difference? Why are they? Why is it a good adaptation? Uh, well, you you've all seen it, correct? Yes, I saw it in like the theaters in '96. So I'm oh, a and you haven't rusty on you it. haven't gone back? Okay. Nope. Uh, for the the folks at home who may not have been alive in 1996. Uh, it came out that summer, I think like August, July or August, and it's set in Edinburgh. Uh, the book is sort of loosely set in the mid to late 80s, 
the film updates it slightly uh, to a little early or a little later than that, I guess, just to make more sense with what's on screen. Uh, but it basically chronicles a group of friends in Edinburgh who are drug addicts, heroin users, petty thieves, uh, and sort of just all the bullshit that they do to get high and then kick heroin and then get back on heroin and then sort of culminates with them doing a, a skag deal in London uh, until the main character rips off his four buddies and that's the end. Uh, it's a very good adaptation for me because the book is essentially a collection of short stories that has no narrative thrust. It's just some of them are done in the first person by this character and then it's all in the Scottish sort of uh, colloquial. So it's hmm. a very dense read if you're not really up for the challenge because he actually writes it out like you're saying stuff in the Scottish dialect. Phonetic Scottish brogue. Yeah, yeah. basically. It's, it's, uh, so it's written in phonetic Scottish brogue? Some of them are, yeah. They're like first-person diatribes, and it's written like a Scottish yeah, you, person you would speak. You literally like, don't know what they're saying until you read it out loud and go, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. what he's saying. He's swearing so it's written like, like Hagrid is yeah. written. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, huh. And and then other uh, and other stories are done just regular third person, just King's English, uh, and it is much more clear. But they don't really have any sort of flow through apart from just these characters that sort of interact with each other uh, together or just like separate adventures. And then you see other characters in the periphery. And so what John Hodge, the screenwriter, did was he took this book and he chucked out all of sort of the not useless stuff, but stuff that just was sort of there just for flavor. And he actually concocted a narrative flow through where it's the, here's the junkies, here's their deal, here's their asshole friends. Uh, and then this is sort of their, their path to uh, growing up a little bit. Uh, and mm -hmm. that's sort of the, the gist. Uh, and he actually managed with Danny Boyle, the future director of uh, what did he do? What's the, uh, the one in India? I've still never seen it. Slumdog Millionaire. Uh, Slumdog Millionaire that he won the Oscar for. Uh, they actually and current managed... director of Yesterday. Yes. True. Uh, so they actually create this narrative flow through that is not consistent in the book. And if you read the book, it's like the, the stuff that they put together in the movie is all over the place. So they take stuff from the beginning, the middle, here's the end, but we're going to rearrange the pieces to make this one flow through. And so it's a an actual consistent storyline that is non-existent in the book. And hmm. when you read the book, it is so dense. It's like, how the fuck <laughs> did they even yeah. do this? Because they're lifting whole <laughs> passages of dialogue and such. Uh, but then they make it fun. You know, it's like it's a dark comedy. There's a lot, a lot of gross stuff in it. Uh, but it's still very deeply funny to me when I watch it, even though it's very I dark and disturbing. I think it's funny. It, you know it's an indie film because it's called Train Spotting, but they don't include the part that explains why it's called Train Spotting. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's like years later, why is it Train Spotting? What? Yeah. Uh, and I mean, for at the one record, point, uh, uh, he, he has the line, um, uh, Rent has the line, as close to transport, and I think a lot of people were like, oh, I think he said Train Spotting. Yeah. Well, in the, in the <laughs> book, it's explained a little better. Train Spotting is basically when you just have nothing fuck all to do so you just go and you stare at trains passing uh going yeah. to other places so it's basically you're stuck 
and you're you're dead end and you're watching other people go to other places to do other things uh and that's are, are there any gist. fans of the book that criticize the film for like messing it up and being like hey those things don't go together that way or is, is it generally seen as clever uh to my knowledge i don't know of anybody that's pissed off because when if you read the book it's just you have to kind of accept that it's just the scattershot collection of, of narratives uh and that, that really sort of take the form of the heroin addicts so they're they're hazy they're they don't make a lot of sense sometimes there's you know fucking and fighting and stealing and shooting up and getting clean and this and that uh the book is a very dark dive at at points because uh, Irvin Welsh used to be part of that scene and so they kind of didn't really gloss over it, but they cleaned it up a bit for the film and actually brought out a lot more of the humor. And a lot of people got pissed off at the film because they say it glorified drugs. Whereas other people said, no, no, it's, it's a very anti-drug movie. Uh, it's kind of just, you'll see what you want to see when you watch it. Uh, but to me, it's sort of like, especially uh, if you're on drugs while you're watching it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but then the movie gets into, you know, the, the really fucking cool soundtrack. That's got all kinds of stuff from, uh, Bowie and Iggy Pop to New Order to Elastica to you know uh, Primal Scream uh, and the whole thing is just sort of about how drugs sort of change over time and phase out with the new cultures that come in and it's sort of to me the, the movie's about uh, sort of losing your shit and then starting to f- sort out how to find your shit and get your shit together but they don't really do it entirely and then uh, years later, the, the train spotting. Yeah, the train spotting sequel came out years later, and that's a whole other bag. Uh, that's not very good, uh, but whatever. One but, thing uh, I really liked about the film, though, is that they didn't just go straight to drugs are bad. They were like, you know, like when you see a junkie who's on the street and just laying there like a zombie because he just, you know, shot some heroin. Yeah, that is like the that's the best part of his day. That's like you know the the <laughs> stuff is awesome. That's why people ruin their lives. Drugs yeah. are so great. People ruin their lives for them, and it's like yeah. Uh, what was it? Requiem for a dream. All they really got to was the shit's really bad, but they didn't get to but really fun too. Yeah. Well, the fun thing about train spotting too is you've got the. The heroin addicts all doing their thing, but they also have other friends in their circle who don't do heroin and always give them shit about doing heroin. But the way the movie is shot, Danny Boyle always makes sure that when they're getting preachy about all them putting that shite in their veins, they're smoking a shit ton of cigarettes and drinking a crap load of beer. (laughs) And so they've all got their own fucking addictions that they're totally oblivious to. But no, that heroin, that'll fuck you up, man. You better get off that shit. (gasps) Uh, you know <laughs> so it's a very a very solid point it's like who are you to fucking tell anybody so they do a lot of like subtle pokes in the eye to all kinds of uh moral outrage as it were but the dialogue is just spot on and they lift it straight from the book uh and it just makes me laugh every time because early on it's Renton decides he's going to get off smack and so he rolls in and he tells the the guy at the place mother superior He's like, I'm off the skag. He's like, oh, the sick boy method. He's like, no, oh, he's lacking in moral fiber. He's like, well, he knows a lot about Sean Connery. That's hardly a fucking substitute. And that's sort of the, 
the gist of the dialogue throughout the entire movie. I thought that whole movie, that is what uh, Kubrick would have shot if he shot an adaptation of that book. Because it has that same, they they bought like uh, an abandoned cigarette factory and used it as their studio. So they have a ton of interiors that an indie film wouldn't normally get to do. And so it looks Kubricky where he would have gotten a studio and said, okay, just do this. Make yeah. it look exactly like this. I don't care if it's realistic or not. I want this. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting to bring that up too, because the whole thing, when you watch it does have a very clockwork orange sort of vibe to it mm-hmm. because it's a group of basically criminal friends uh, who've got their own patois and are just out wreaking havoc. And then you start to see one of them has sort of a change of heart and sort of pulls away from it. Uh, yeah, and like in Clark, is. I never thought yeah. of that. Yeah, yeah, and intellectually, like it's a lot like it. Yeah, and so in Clockwork Orange, whereas Alex sort of is forced to be rehabilitated, uh, and then comes back into the fold with a vengeance by the end. This one, Renton is sort of the central character. He sort of re- rehabilitates on his own, and no, then by the end, forced. he's his yeah. parents stick him in that bedroom and force him to. <laughs> Well, but he does go to London and tries to make it as a rental agent and that whole thing. And then fucking Begbie shows up uh, and then sick boy. And then they draw him back in, uh, you know, but the, the whole thing is just essentially uh, a dark slide into what that sort of culture can do to you. But it's also about the camaraderie that comes out of it. Uh, and then that camaraderie seems very fragile by the end. Cause it's sort of like, well, fuck all of these people. So then it's, you know, it's the same thing. You put in that shite in your veins, la la la. And then they move on. I always love right. the message behind that film that basically says, I'm not a bad person because I do drugs. I'm a bad person because I'm a bad person. And in the end, <laughs> yeah. when he's not doing drugs and yeah. he fucks all his friends over, it's like, I didn't do this cause of heroin. I did this cause I'm a bad person. Yeah. Cause you'd have done it to me first fucker. That's basically yeah. it. Uh, but really, it's just, it's scattered with just brilliant interplay between all of the the players and uh, just cracks me up every time Very I watch it. Very fully developed characters, all of them. I think all of these people actually exist. There's, yeah. There's no two-dimensional, I'm the guy who doesn't do drugs. Yeah. There's, they all have a backstory and it's all interesting, except maybe the women. They're pretty flat. Well, you know, it's not really about them but whatever. But it also gives a nice dig to the English because the one friend who doesn't do any drugs takes him for a hike up in the wilderness and then says, you know, it's, it's all, we got to pull that clip. (laughs) And he's like, it's England. He's like, it's a fucking shite state of affairs. We were colonized by wankers. So yeah, it's a, it's fun, but it's a solid adaptation because it gets to the heart of the book and all of its various threads and sews them up very nicely into a neat package. Cause I never read the book. I saw the movie and I went, Oh, now I have to read this fucking book. And then I read the book going, what the hell did I just read? And so <laughs> I've had, I've had to read it a couple of times since because it's just, it's so fragmented and very much of the drug mindset. Uh, it's almost like reading a Bukowski book uh, where it's basically just, I suck. I'm drunk. I suck. I'm unemployed. I'm drunk. Oh wait, I'm sober. And then things <laughs> still suck and then move on. Uh, so that's pretty much. I suck no matter what I'm on. Is, uh, <laughs> yeah, basically, <laughs> okay. life is just bullshit. So yeah, so choose life, <laughs> choose life, fellas. That's what I say. All right, Eric, do you want to go next? Yeah, I uh, I had a hard time with this because there are a bunch of adaptations I thought would be good. Um, 
The Shining, I love. I I I I absolutely adore the film The Shining, but it's not a great adaptation. Well, because it's, yeah, it's not he really changes so much. But the thing is, yeah, he, he he makes up a lot of stuff that's not in the book, uh, and, and that's not normally a bad thing. But it is when you're sort of denying the message of the original book. The original book, the dad is you know sort of an unwilling. Um, host for evil and in the movie he's you know he's evil yeah which is great so not a great adaptation but um what was your good adaptation well oh i I just want to say the other one i wanted to pick was uh uh the right stuff because that's got so much so much material to work with the problem i had with that is how much they left out there are seven astronauts but only four of them are you know really considered interesting enough yeah if they remade the right stuff they would remake it as like a netflix show or amazon or something where they had the time i i'm going to be interested to see how adaptations work in the next couple decades when we no longer have to worry about length well i will say this that having recently watched that catch 22 adaptation on hulu uh, Mm -hmm. they still have some work to do well that so i went with the old standby for adaptations, uh, Silence of the Lambs, which gets everything in the book that you need. You know, it leaves out everything that's unnecessary. It, it is violent as fuck. And I just love that film. God damn it. I just love, I, I, I love the idea of the, the bad guy who's the good guy and the, the bad guy who's a victim and nothing is very cut and dry. Oh yeah, and and no one sees the inherent sexism in their lives except for Starling. You know, she's this she's this one person who's trying to make it, and all these people are fucking with her, even when they don't know they're fucking with her. There's a lot of subtlety in the book uh, that they have to do just with the camera in the movie to save time. Do you think can it translates you, well? You, yeah, can you? Be more specific about that like um but there's there's a scene when there are all these uh sheriff's deputies in the town where they found a victim and clarice has to tell them all you know this this little girl why are you you know fuck you what you know like the, the, it's it's very and they, they 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 mention it later in dialogue that she was sent there on purpose by her boss to clear them out because she was a woman and he needed them to feel superior in the book. She's going through it in her head about how, you know, these are all guys who aren't used to having a woman tell them what to do. And she has Mm. to play nice. You know, I can't, I can't say it as well as Thomas Harris did. So, so they kind of figured out how to use the language of cinema to get um, the important bits of Clarice's inner monologue communicated yeah, exactly and okay and and i think that's that's something people forget this is not a a movie or a book about hannibal lecter he's just a character in it he's a supporting character in it it's about clarice starling this woman who is ambitious not because she wants to get ahead but because she has a psychotic need to save people and she doesn't even realize it. <laughs> she doesn't even yeah. know that's her motivation until nearly the end. Well, I had not seen it in like 20 years. I'm going to 
tell you straight up that I've never read the book. Uh, mm. and I just watched the movie again this week to sort of refresh and it's good. I don't know if it should be the Oscar winner for that year, but that's a whole other bag. But what struck me watching it, uh, apart from I forgot how hammy Anthony Hopkins is in the role of Hannibal Lecter, uh, I don't remember it being that over the top, but I guess that's the power of his performance. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I of yeah. course love that. Well, I mean, it, it works for what it is because it struck me watching it that it's sort of structured like an old Hammer horror movie. Like Clarice Starling is sort of mm-hmm. Van Helsing going after this uh, monster, and yeah. you can't really decide if the monster is indeed Buffalo Bill or if it's actually Hannibal Lecter. And then through the like the end of the second act when Lecter makes his escape. And it's super fucking gruesome. I mean, cuts a dude's skin off his face and wears it as a mask. That whole thing is, I think that whole thing is actually like the, the, the tableau he creates yeah. out of the guards is a Goya painting. I mean, it's none of it is possible. That's, that's one thing. You look at a lot of those shots of violence and you go, this is not actually possible to do in reality. And you, okay. but but they're not trying to do something possible. They're trying to show you what someone like the guard, the first cop on the scene, what he thinks he yeah. saw. And that's what makes it so terrifying. I got, I got to take issue with the wearing another person's face as a, as a mask thing, which is, this isn't the only movie that does it, but like that would never work, right? Like it would just be like blood and weird yeah. skin flapping all over the side of your face. Like, well, what? but that's, yeah. but that's what I'm saying is that the whole thing plays like a, a hammer monster movie and so in that sort of context it actually works uh and then by the end the monster is released and then that's when i realized that okay clarice really is the van helsing character and uh lector is the dracula character but he's undead you can't really kill dracula so she's gonna go round up you know the renfro and whatever which is buffalo bill it's a loose analogy but it's sort of and he doesn't need to make he doesn't need to make the mask no. look good either. As, as the blood and the viscous just helps because he wasn't just wearing the guy's face. He was wearing the guy's face after yeah. he'd been attacked yeah. by mm. a cannibal. So it just yeah. needed to be good. So enough. it's yeah, it's pretty gruesome. But that's that was sort of the flow through. And I just had wondered if the book read like a gothic horror or not. Yeah. Okay. It does. Uh, complete with the romance. I mean, the a lot of people had a problem with. The book Hannibal, where where Clarice becomes basically his lover, it makes perfect sense if you read between the lines of the first one that Hannibal's absolutely yeah. in love with her. Hmm. Kind of creepy because because he he's she's like the one person he's met who doesn't have like this you know self absorbed yeah. personality. She wants to help, and and he ends up basically tapping into that into Hannibal. A book that was a fun read if you like the Thomas Harris gothic horror genre. Uh, okay. But even if you did, it was a horrible <laughs> so, adaptation. <laughs> Silence of the Lambs, I think, is every bit as good as everyone says. It won Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Director, Best Picture, Best Actor, and Best Actress. And I think it deserved okay. all of them. All right. It did the sweep. It did do the sweep that year. Also, I would like to point out that Jonathan Demme, the director, uh, 
apparently has a hard on for the song Goodbye Horses. Of course you're going to go there. <laughs> by Q Lazarus because it, it was in Married to the Mob and then it shows up in this one as well. And I'm, I, it's like the only one that I recognize that he's used more than once. It's a very odd bit of trivia. Uh, but maybe, yeah. maybe he's got points on that song and he, he makes that's, royalties. That's all I can think is oh. something's going on because it's not a great song. So why use it in two different movies? It's ethereal. Yeah. That's the thing. It's you, you hear it, and it sounds like something you'd hear okay. in a dream. That's my oh, guess. This is as good as mine. Because the shot of of Buffalo Bill, you know, trying to act like he doesn't have a wee-wee <laughs> is him engaged yeah. in a dream. I don't remember how it's used in Mary uh, It's just somewhere in the Chris soundtrack. Chris doesn't either. He just had the soundtrack and played yeah, it a basically. lot in his car. Like, right. like uh, Brian and I saw that in a the theater, and then all I can remember is we came out, and we did like that quiet high-five that Modine and Oliver Platt do. That's all I remember. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, right. that's... Tell us yours, Brian, because I'm I struggled with this. I struggled. So, my problem, first of all, was that I kept picking things that really should be their own show, like Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter. And, and I think we can do whole shows about those, and I didn't want to go there. I seriously considered Transformers, the first one. I seriously considered um, doing a conversation about the effort that my team did uh, translating Star Wars into video game form for Rogue Leader, and I, I actually wouldn't mind doing that as a show also someday. Um, but I... I cracked out so hard on that fucking game. God, that thing ruined my Yay. life for a year. Yeah, mine too. Um, a totally different way. But um, I ended up coming back around to, you know, because I'm the guy who watches all of the big dumb bubblegum movies, right? Yeah, I wanted are. to talk about Ready Player One as an adaptation from book to film. And this is not necessarily to say that the book nor the film are great or even all that good. Um, but I think it's a good adaptation, and so I'm going to try and defend that. Okay. Because I'm um, intrigued by this thesis, because I read the book, and it's okay. I just watched the movie for the first time to prep for this, and it uh -huh. is almost unwatchable. Oh, uh, I totally disagree <laughs> with you on that. So that's interesting. Okay. okay. So the book by Ernie Klein is targeted at me, basically, uh... Someone <laughs> really born in 1971 or so who was into all the shit Ernie Klein is into. But if you, I mean, the book doesn't age well, right? It's aimed directly at a very specific generation, and it's basically you're cool if you get all of my pop culture references. Yeah. And well, I think to me, the, the majesty of the book is that it's basically telling you that, hey, it's okay to be a geek about this stuff. Because this is the only stuff that matters. It's sort of if you've ever had that conversation with anybody that's just hardcore into that kind of thing, you can't say anything yeah. that they're going to agree with if it doesn't match that line. 
And I think that's what the book gets to. I think it's interesting that Steven Spielberg directed this film and that his uh, effects crew had to sneak in references to his own shit. It's like, (laughs) sneak it in. Steve, this is about you and your stuff, motherfucker. (laughs) You don't get to... I think he didn't get it. It's a little weird that Steven Spielberg made this movie because, yeah, he... It's it's not aimed at him. It's aimed at the people who watched his shit, not at him. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that is interesting about this as an adaptation is it's targeted at a different audience than the book is. Um, yeah. They had to change the generation of the target audience to really my 19-year-old son. Because um, this movie is aimed directly at him, although it still has an awful lot of uh, references in it. Yeah. But... but it's one of those books that it's not unfilmable because of the structure of the book or the or the nonlinear narrative or whatever. It's unfilmable because nobody could possibly cobble together the rights to put all of the shit that gets referenced in the book on the screen. Yeah. And I think that's why they got Steven Spielberg, because the power of Steven Spielberg um, allows them to negotiate with people and, frankly, the power of Warner Brothers. Uh, um, yeah. And they got quite a bit in there, uh, but I was surprised at how much they changed from the book to actually make this the movie. Like the even, yeah. like the quests themselves are even different from what's in the book, so it's like it's not even the same thing. Yeah, not it's even like close. It's the same basic story, but it's like everything is different now, and it's weird because is- Ernest Klein ad- adapted his own book for this. It's so strange. So this is the core of my thesis which is that the way the movie handles this is superior to the book in every way. Uh, so let's talk about... There's the, the story is basically a Willy Wonka story, but it's also like a video game. The, the characters have to master three challenges to find Easter eggs in this virtual reality universe that are all based on the pop culture shit that the guy who made the universe was into, which is all 80s nostalgia. So yeah. in the book, the first challenge is they literally run a D&D module and then they play Joust and then they get the key to a boss door where they have to literally recite a scene from the movie War Games. This would suck as a movie. Well, not only, not <laughs> only recite a scene, they actually had to reenact the entire movie of War Games. Yeah. Which and is get all the lines. It's like dumb. a choose your own adventure thing. Yeah. I read that in the book because I knew that they were making the movie and that was the first thing that was like, how the fuck are they going to do this? And, and why would they anybody do care? Totally don't do that, right? So what they do in the movie is they have this amazing action scene, which is this crazy virtual reality race scene, which uh, involves like a transforming New York City with swinging metal balls and spiky boards coming up and the T-Rex and King Kong attacking everybody and yeah. the Razors are driving the 66 Batmobile and the bike from Akira and all kinds of shit. And that's the genius is this movie is chock-a-block full of references, all of which more or less have to be freeze-framed. They don't lampshade them the way the book does. The book is like, you don't win unless you get my references. The movie is like, okay, are you the guys that like the book? Then fine. Step through this movie frame by frame and you'll find all this ki- this cool shit. <laughs> That's for you. But for yeah. everybody else in the universe, the normal people, we're going to have an actual action scene and a good narrative. Well, and, and that's I, the thing. Sorry, go ahead. And as uh, this is very much a movie for video game people. And maybe this is why it leaves Chris Cold and not me. But 
this uh, the key to the so first much. the first uh, challenge is to the level starts the race starts the key is to go backwards and don't even try to run the race but to like it's like in Donkey Kong country when the level starts if you just go left instead of right uh you can find a secret and that's you know that's the key to the race yeah i didn't it have works. any problem with with that uh it was just the book itself is just so densely populated with references across all kinds of media uh cuz like one of the puzzles he has to solve involves like recreating a rush song yeah, well, that's the second uh, and, key. It's yeah. Rush Trivia and Zork and yeah. Blade Runner and a game called Black Tiger. But again, eh, you want to play Zork in a movie? It's a text oh, but that's adventure. A, but that's what I'm <laughs> saying is that the the adaptation to the screen, they went really... I mean, I get the video game references, but they also went just super heavy with the film references. And I don't know if it's because it's a film or if they just that happened organically. But it sort of seems like, well, we're making this a movie, so we might as well populate it with just a crap ton of movie references, uh, so yeah. people can follow along. Mm. So the second, and ultimately, it's just it's just a lot of frosting and no cake because you you you're you're putting in so much sub referencing to go look at the sub referencing. Yeah. Look at all the references we've got in this thing, and the story is still as basic as it was oh, before. Sure. You know, if you took out all the references, how how fun would this film be? It, it no. wouldn't be, and that's where it it like I said, it's not necessarily good as a book or as a movie. I mean, the the story is pretty boilerplate. You know, uh, hero go defeat the boss monsters. You know, literally getting boss door keys. Um, <sighs> it's a video game Ooh, narrative. Let's do. Could you do an adaptation of this as prepare first night, and it, it's all in the 13th century, and it's a bunch of people who have to basically know Chaucer uh, <laughs> and Rabelais <laughs> and Balzac, and like like be able to recite bits of their stories, and they're all their favorite knights. Like yeah. that one over there is uh, Beowulf, and this one over here well, is well. Uh, I tell you, Eric, and- it probably would make just as much money as this thing did. Oh, really? Yeah. Did this bomb? Because <laughs> my idea sucks. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but the, the other thing they did when they were adapting, and again, this is about the adaptation, when they get, by the way, the second key they completely replace with basically going into the movie The Shining and letting the Overlook Hotel kill the shit out of a bunch of people, which is a lot yeah, of fun. And, and let me just say this. I did not buy that at all because of the one character who knows everything about every other bit of pop culture has never seen The Shining or even heard of it peripherally, and suddenly they don't know what the hell's going on in this simulation of The Shining. I call bullshit on that. Yeah, that's that's fair. That's mm. fair. But oh, when I saw that in the theater, went, yeah. the theater just... That was the moment where the audience was just howling with laughter. Like, that scene totally kills in the theater. Um... Well, and it's also Spielberg's loving recreation of things like the blood coming out of the elevators. I mean, he's got such a hard-on for Kubrick, and I think even more so than AI, this little sequence in Ready Player One just shows you how much he adores Kubrick to to the nth degree. Yeah. It was just, it was sickening. That's <laughs> probably how they got Spielberg on board. We're like, look, yeah. we're Warners. We've got the rights to The Shining. You want to have some fun? You know? Yeah, really. <laughs> um, but <laughs> this is all just a practice reel for Dr. Yeah. Sleep, actually. There you go. There you <laughs> they, go. Well, they needed, yeah, they needed to, to fund a, a 3D model of the Overlook Hotel that could be shot from, yeah. So, um, <laughs> the, 
Very shrewd. Very shrewd. <laughs> the uh, the third key, though, they more or less stay true to the book, and I think that that plays that plays well. Um, that that actually, you know, the final showdown between Mecha Godzilla and a guy bringing in Mobile Suit Gundam is straight out of the book, and yeah. that the final final thing is the very first video game Easter egg in the game Adventure by Warren Robinette. Like those things had to stay true. Where I think fans of the book would have been like bullshit, and they totally yeah. did. They totally <laughs> went there, and I didn't think they would get the rights to Mecha Godzilla or Gundam or any of that shit. So good on them for actually pursuing the ones that count. Well, I mean, Spielberg did help shepherd something like who's a, uh, who framed Roger Rabbit, which is kind of the same thing. It's just all these various properties across who knows what, and they managed to pull that one off. So I think he probably understood the terrain. So I think, yeah, I would grant you that Spielberg is the wise choice to shepherd this I thing. Grant you. I grant you. Because oh. there's so many diverse things. And they, again, they don't put them up front. There's so much stuff that's just sort of, hey, hanging out in the background, like just for flavor. But, uh, well, and you they still did a great job of, of saying that if they actually built this world, it's not like nostalgia ended in 1990. Right, like so, they've got yeah. stuff that that people would have been into. Other fantasy, you know, there's Minecraft and there's Overwatch and there's Hello Kitty, and they talk about Twitch streamers, you know. So they 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 recognize that there are fandoms that existed after Ernie Klein stopped caring. Um, yeah. So I, I thought they did a good job of adapting it to film. Um, and the only other thing I want to say, this is the geekiest thing I want to say about this, and it's a criticism I have of both the book and the movie. Okay, so our bad guys work for the evil corporation IOI, and they're called Sixers, and the bad guys are called Sixers because they all have serial numbers that start with the number six. But the thing is, in the film, IOI looks exactly like 101, which in binary equates to five, not six, and it (laughs) bugs me. (laughs) Well, that just shows you how... Fucking that's pretty good. Can you say can you say that all again as if your retainer was loose? <laughs> so the thing is that the, the, yeah. the, the IOI looks exactly like the numbers one zero one and in binary one zero one base two equates to the number five base ten and they shouldn't be called sixers, they should be called fivers. There. You happy now? Worst impression of a dork ever. I would just like to say that that was not Radioactive Man number 47. It was Radioactive Man number 17. (laughs) (laughs) Also, uh, best Easter egg I found on a rewatch of uh, Ready Player One was not a reference. It was a cereal box, and the name of the cereal was Glutenose. Nice. Somebody had fun. Okay. Oh. Anyway, that's all I have to say. Any anybody else have anything about Ready Player I just, One? I just felt it was very lifeless uh, for a movie throwing that yeah. much money at the screen and having all that stuff. Uh, it's just weird to me because it seems like you take all of those things and it should work because uh, all of that pushes all of the nostalgia buttons. And it was the same problem I had with the book. It just it falls flat because it just seems like well, here's the thing that you all say you love. So we're going to put it in, and it just becomes a test case of be careful what you wish for. And that's yeah. why I don't really care for it. I thought, and I thought this is uh, an adaptation that's being made because somebody said this will, this will be a successful you know, property, not someone really loved yeah. this idea. If somebody was really in love with Ready Player One, yeah. I, I think I could sum it up what you're saying with this. It's a movie made for kids 
who are nostalgic for the 80s? <laughs> Why would anybody Fair want enough. that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, you know, eh. I miss video games that were just fucking eight-color yeah. blocks. Yeah. And the sound effects that went beep, I'll tell beep, you what, yeah. though. It, it yeah. worked on my 19-year-old. Uh, he loved it. So go figure. Well. No, he was trying to make you no, feel better. No, he's a colossal door. I, 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 he won't say it, so I'll say it. That's that's absolutely Again, father of the year. My son is a colossal dork. Oh, he is. Does he talk like this when he describes things to you? <laughs> that's just that's a nutshell right there. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Well, the the other thing too, because we had gone on a little bit. So uh, Eric brought up just a couple of things that should be made into uh, movies. That yeah. uh, haven't yet. And Ready Player One really kind of kind of segues well into Neuromancer, yes. a, a, a book that should be ad, 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 adapted. Adapted. They're, they've been working on it for years, <laughs> trying to put together a team to yeah. make it. Now the guy who made uh, Deadpool is doing it. Uh, I, I still don't think it'll I was happen. reading Neuromancer when Johnny was, Mnemonic we, came out, and I was pretty much yeah. cured of my need to see that movie because of Johnny Mnemonic. Don't let that one... Yeah, because they need to get away from the sort of, I guess, punk tech, um, cyberpunk. Call it the yeah. The, yeah Keanu the, Reeves the, is yeah, going to die yeah. someday, and, and so just, they got to make this movie soon. <laughs> Shut up! It's it. Yeah, it's not. It's not about that though. It's got to be about. Yeah. you know, I don't know transformation, but but get rid of the 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 cool. Yeah. Looking well, they already things, kind of beat that you know? to death in the Matrix, so kind of move yeah, past it. Yeah. But I agree with that one, but I don't know if it'll ever get made. Uh, but another one in that same arena uh, was the one that I thought of first was Snow Crash by Neil Stevenson. That's yeah, another one that needs to tough. get adapted to something because there's so much in it that is just fucking mind-blowing uh, that I think that, that needs to be on the screen so that people can go, holy fuck. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that one's going to happen either. Uh no, I don't think so. Uh, we'll see. Uh, but I also honorable mention because this is coming out later this year, uh, the Goldfinch, which was the Pulitzer Prize winner uh, a couple of years ago by Donna Tart. Uh, it's an amazing book, and I have no clue how they're going to make it an interesting movie because the book is very dense with its thematics. So I'm kind of looking forward to seeing it just just to check it out and find out what they do. So that's uh, on the horizon. Oh. I'll have to it's read awesome. That. Highly recommend it. So if you're if you're a listener, okay. uh, what do you like? Like, share, and subscribe. What do you think? Tell us. <laughs> Find us on Twitter. We're at MagHuge on Twitter. We're also yeah. on Facebook. We're the Magnificently Huge Podcast on Facebook. We're on Instagram, and I don't actually know what our handle is on Instagram, but I've been saying it for many, many episodes. I think it's Magnificently Huge, but yeah, I don't go on Instagram because I'm old and I don't care. Uh, well, also, you know, they're saying that Instagram <laughs> is waning, so that's okay. Whatever. I, I still don't care. Uh, but but find us on Instagram <laughs> and see if we notice if you mention us or, or, or hit us up. Uh, you can also go to our website, uh, maghuge.com, M-A-G-H-U-G-E.com, and you can find that old episode. Uh, hey, you can find... The the old episode where I originally brought up Ready Player One. Um, 
I listened to it the other night and I've already forgotten which episode it was. So obviously, <laughs> yeah, I typical. I suck. Typical. Well, you know. Basically, if you're using any of the technology that the Russians are going to use to swindle the 2020 election, go look yeah, for us there. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Give your give your info to the Russians. And we're also going to be. Do- we're going to be doing a show eventually on bad adaptations, and I'd love to hear what other oh, people think are bad definitely. adaptations, because I've got my own ideas, but I'm also, like, really yeah. snooty. That's oh, that episode true. was episode 45, the after-school special episode, otherwise known as Ass. Go check that out. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then and then don't forget our Top Gun show as well, episode like 12. Absolutely go check out the Logman shows. Check out all of our shows, and on your podcast, Ask. Give Ask. Good job, me. And our po- on your podcast app, give us a rating. Because, you know, maybe somebody else will listen to us. That'd be cool. Do that for us, yeah. would you please? Thanks. Five stars. Five-star review. Uh, but really, just email us, magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com, and tell us whatever you want us to talk about. Because uh, yeah. we get bereft of ideas. If you liked this episode, be sure and uh, read the book. It's available <laughs> on Amazon. Fuck books. <laughs>